0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter.
0: Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks.
1: Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is
2: heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running
1: off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O.
3: It is hardcore.
1: So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat and Three. Available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm HRN Executive Director Katie Mosman-Wadler, and I'm very excited to have a special guest in studio in Roberta's with me today. Today my guest is Michael Landgarten. He's the owner of Bob's Clam Hut in Kittery, Maine, and soon to open in Portland, Maine. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, it's completely my pleasure. Thank you.
2: And you're um, fresh off the plane, as I understand, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Post, post-Roberta's Pizza. It
3: was a little uh, bumpy. And so I was really happy to have the best pizza I've ever eaten um, to settle my stomach, and uh, it was a delight. Amazing. Yeah. A yeah. glowing endorsement. Oh, I <laughs> loved it long before I got to be on the radio here. So.
2: Well, yeah. thank you so much, and welcome back to Bushwick. We're happy to have you here. And um, today, I'm excited to talk to you about a number of things, but... First and foremost, uh, you are the proprietor of a restaurant that was really a staple of my childhood and and really part of my hometown experience in Maine, Bob's Clam Hut, which is right on the Kittery Mall. If anyone's been uh, driving up Route 1 in Maine, surely you've seen it and smelled it, and hopefully you've eaten there. Um, But it's definitely a pilgrimage site. It's a historic business. Um, I'd love if you could give the, the background about Bob's. When did it begin and sort of what's the ethos and um what what does it look like and smell like
3: you'll probably have to stop me because i i'm still completely in love in fact more more enamored with this magical you know uh genesis and how it's evolved Uh, so bob uh craft uh same spelling as the patriots owner but nothing like him (laughs) (laughs) not that i just you know just not that i know bob craft the patriots owner but i knew bob craft the Bob's uh founder he grew up in a house a uh, little ranch house with um three brothers and sisters um, well one um, sister and another brother, and his parents in a tiny house that was really between Bob's and the carryry trading post, which was quite small at the time and that house sat right on route one i mean you know steps from the from the road and uh, he asked his mom for a piece of the backyard after you know, he was about thirty at the time, so he had d- driven a cab and worked construction in New Jersey to make it through winters. He had an injury, so he wasn't he didn't serve in the war, so he, he was you know stateside and um yeah, but he mastered frying clams at a young age because he would dig fried clams in Spruce Creek, which has really rich clam flats right where Bob's sits, mm. and those clam flats have been closed for a number of years, although. Um, That waterway uh, just got uh, a healthy grade, so there's been a great cleanup of it. So we're pretty excited about that. They haven't opened up the digging yet. Um, So Bob dug clams and fried them up. And at some point he got a job cooking in Portsmouth right over the river at a place called Hovey's, um, where there's still a restaurant but not a Hovey's. And uh, he was cooking in the back, and uh, this is Bob telling me the story um, early on. And the owner came in back and, uh, so he was, he got an order for fried clams and he saw their recipe and he wanted nothing to do with it. He disapproved, Bob did. huh So he cooked them his way and the owner came storming in the back and Bob was figured that was the end of his career at Hovey's. And the owner said, who, who made these clams? And Bob said, I did. And the guy said, the best clams I ever had. Wow. Um, don't ever change that. You know, so what, what Bob was doing, he had a vision, he had a, he had an inspiration. He had. He had decided how it was done, and he, he was a student. He, he went to a place called Ells uh, that had opened in 1945. Um, that's in Agunquet, where I, I actually had the pleasure of going. There were lines down uh, Route 1 for Ells. It's no longer there. Uh, so he studied what she did, and he developed his own, his own approach, which is outrageously simple and he really wanted the clam to be the star cuz he knew that the fresher the clam all you had to do was basically dredge it and fry it in ultra clean oil and no salt no pepper nothing nothing to uh mask that incredible flavor that's there's nothing like a clam it's sort of like there's nothing like an oyster there are certain foods you know somebody comes and says can I get clams and we we're out Mm -hmm. once in a great while (laughs) they just walk away there's nothing what can you get yeah anyway that's that's how it started he and his wonderful family uh his wife Betty um his uh son Bob Jr. and Brenda and uh Donna Bob's wife Bobby's wife. they ran it for 30 years, and uh, then they were selling, and I came along, 26 from Worcester Mass, actually originally from I was born in Flushing. Oh wow, uh, not far from here. Um, having had a really uh, sort of un, unsuspecting or unreal, not realizing that this was going to be a career love for roadside joints and fish sandwiches and chocolate shakes and I I just was compelled to go to those kind of places all through college. I never went to the school cafeteria. I kept a a list. I went to college in Maine. I went to Bowdoin. I kept a list of joints within 30 miles and would try to get friends to go with me but most of the time I'd eat by myself in those places. And um, so um, my path was sort of set even though I didn't realize and I Got an opportunity to buy Bob's, and Bob took a liking to me, um, and uh, that was that. I worked there one day, and I went home and told my wife, "I think I'm gonna do this." And she said, "Really?" And my fr- my friends, some of my friends said, "Of course you're gonna do that." And my family went, "Oh my God, what do you, you know, what do we pay for an education for?" Did
2: I hear you say you were 26 when this happened? Yeah. Wow. So, okay, back up, because this is just really amazing. Um, What were you studying at Bowdoin, and uh, did you have a prior interest in hospitality, um, and (laughs) how did this come to pass?
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, I was naturally an art history major. Of course. Um, of course, of course. Um, yeah. I like to kind of qualify that as saying, but I was a really serious one. Mm-hmm. I, I I really uh, loved what I studied. I had a great professor, and I actually gave. I was uh, worked with the head of the department and researched. I I, I loved art and uh, the political history side of it, but. Um, What was the rest of the question?
2: (laughs) So um, where did the interest in hospitality come from, and did you have any background in hospitality when you decided to buy a roadside clam stand?
3: I did. um, It wasn't a very good resume. I got fired a lot. (laughs) I I worked at... I shucked oysters down in Cape Cod at a musical theater place. I uh, was a server in Booth Bay Harbor uh, when I was a freshman in in, uh, college. And... uh, worked at a ground round. Um, they put me on the fryers once, and I totally messed up. They never let me back on there. Wow. Only to become like, the, the, know,
2: To run a couple of small fryers. I was pr- pretty, like pretty at good
3: in the kitchen for about 15 years running the show. Wow. But uh, I was a slow learner, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I, I never thought hospitality was my thing. But I, I loved those places. So. Mm-hmm. And I did love to cook, uh, and I still do. And I've learned a lot.
2: So you, you took a love for the roadside stand and jumped off a cliff with it, and, yes. uh, and here we are.
3: You know, uh, the, the, sorry, the connection with the art history was, uh, my, the professor I worked with named Larry Lutchmanson. He was a Marxist art historian, and so there was something about Bob's being this uh, working-class place um, with incredibly um, uh, down-to-earth values. Hi, highly anti-capitalist, <laughs> they had very little interest in making money. They wanted to feed the town of Kittery. Mm-hmm. Betty, in particular, that was her main. You know, she felt really connected to her community. Uh, so, so there was just some huge redemption in working in this working class environment for me, where those values were being really lived out in a very innocent, unpretentious way. That was for me. I, wrote, I had already worked in, I went and worked in computers. I had been in the working world, and I I just felt like such an outcast, like I didn't belong in this world. So here I could be in business, but in a very different way.
2: So for a very young person, you had a lot of different experiences, kind of before you went into this. But I think um, knowing that you have the art history background, when you walk into Bob's Clam Hut, it's A beautiful space, and there is a lot of photography um, and there's a lot of history up on the walls. Can you describe um, sort of the interior? Uh, So, of course, the exterior is a classic main clam hut, um, but very, very clean and beautiful and and beautiful signage. But describe the interior when you walk in.
3: Uh, Well, it's it's meant to feel like a porch, a seaside porch, um, and then it's. we didn't want to make it into an amu- uh, like a, a amusement park of itself or some kind of. Uh, uh, but we wanted it to be a, a very unique experience, so there's no other. Like, you can't mistake where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are photographs, old photographs of that Bob had, you know, when Bob's was brown and when he first opened and the old cars sitting out front. And then when I first took over, there's a great shot of uh, Bob Jr.'s citation. You know that car? So it his car. <laughs> and Bob had a... Uh, it wasn't an LTD. Uh, Electra 225 he had. I think he, he really felt like he could, he had made it at that point. And he had, in fact. Um, and uh, um, and then we commissioned a, a local artist named Gordon Carlisle, who's a terrific artist uh, to do. Um, he, he's sort of a pop surrealist a lover of 50s kitsch, which is really where Bob's, you know, started in 1956. So that's its era. So he did a huge mural that included some pop characters from uh, Gilligan's Island, plus the kitchen at Bob's. Mm-hmm. And we've done actually, if you haven't been there recently, we did seven other uh, paintings that uh, Gordon did. They're just great of um, vintage scenes from Bob's. One time when a mute a moose crossed the parking lot, so he's got a picture of that. He's got a picture of Bob, from the early days, apparently Bob used to lie down on Route one to stop cars because it was that quiet. Wow <laughs> and, this is not something I <laughs> no, would recommend right. uh, time between point, be March and no. September at least would, right so it's hard to imagine uh, but he would lie on Route one wow. in his bathing suit, go for a dip in the creek <laughs> um, and uh, and cook people fried clams and then they'd go next door to to his mom's house because Helen, Helen Kraft was still there and if you Bought uh, clams in the early days. You could go next door for a free piece of pie, which apparently was better than the clams. That's why people wow. came. Yeah.
2: What were her classic pie flavors? I don't flavors? know. Oh, I I'd love, to, love I know. to do a little digging on that.
3: Yeah, probably still some folks around that I could... I should probably ask Betty. I may have known at some point. I imagine blueberry. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping for lemon. Uh, um, mm. So I, I'm really intrigued especially about Betty's philosophy of keeping it accessible and I'm wondering if you know if there was any kind of how, how did they go about doing that were there certain items that they kept on the menu because they were lower cost or did they make efforts to streamline prices through kind of fluctuating markets how how did they maintain um, that level of accessibility
3: uh, they weren't really business people and they were happy making what most people wouldn't have been happy making Um, so when I got there, the most popular dish was a called a seafood basket and, uh, three people can share a seafood basket. I don't know if you've seen it's a, it's a pound and a half of raw seafood Mm and we still serve the same thing. It was $6 and 75 cents and it took me like a year and a half to even figure out how to run a food cost report and when i did i i discovered it the cost on it just flat cost not even paper it was 709 wow so we lost uh, whatever the 34 cents every time we made one and i would just make them all day long uh-huh so that's how they did it okay they just um they really did love and value the position they held in the community and they were getting by they made enough mm-hmm. they didn't have a mortgage you know they could and they paid their family Um, it was just great humility and, and, um, and that's a good life, even though, you know, uh, you're not rolling in dough, you're rolling and feeling good. They, Betty, on a Friday night, this is very intimidating when I first got there, there would be a line up, people would pull into the parking lot and she could see who was there and she would start cooking their food before they ordered it. Wow. That's the kind of, and it was busy and I learned those orders. It was, it was intense. Yeah, I yeah. can
2: imagine. I mean, you, the the line still can be um, pretty amazing in the high summer. Um, so it's something really amazing that you've done is really managed to kind of preserve the the history of Bob's Clam Hut while running it for how many years have you been the it's owner like, of Bob's? It's
3: 32 for me.
2: Okay, so 32 yeah. years. You've yeah. kept it going. Um, you know, I've been going there consistently for probably the last... 25 almost years. Wow. And uh, so I've seen it through and I'd say like, there are maybe some changes here and there. I saw Ben and Jerry's come and go. Um, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, it's the same experience and the food is the same. And, um, you know, I think it's seen it definitely grow and be more and more and more popular with people who are road tripping and making pilgrimages to the place. But how have you maintained um, kind of the ethos of um, what Bob and Betty created while adapting to you know, modern dining and maybe modern demands for, for a menu for a place like this?
3: Sure. That's a great question. I mean, first of all, when you love something, and I do adore it, and I've always adored it, it's, you put a lot of effort into that. And those values, I think, of being front and center and conscious of those values and measuring our success against those values that's really how you do it i mean i think your question is more the nuts and bolts um uh it's been despite um the news of it it's been a fairly stable uh, product line Um, clams lobsters haddock has not been quite what it was lately and we're starting to explore other routes there and you mentioned main shrimp that's been a little more problematic but um, scallops have been really consistent there's they're as good as ever mm-hmm. uh, right you know during especially during Maine scallop season um and so uh, it developed bob had tremendous relationships with vendors um, very loyal like partners and i really love that i don't I don't get into this kind of call you know send an email out to five people and take the one with the best price i don't even want to talk about that. We just want to work with somebody. They're successful. We're successful. They know what we expect. Mm -hmm. We get really great uh, service and and more importantly, wonderful, wonderful product. Um, We buy our seafood from what the best restaurants in the area buy. So uh, one of the things about uh, what we do is um, because frying food is sort of condescended to in the Culinary world, we have an opportunity, and and sometimes for good reason. People let their oil go bad. You know, they don't. People don't consider fry cooks really cooks. So we had this opportunity to be really different, and that really came from Bob too. we're like obsessive fry cooks. I mean, the oil's got to be the right level. It's we throw it out long before anybody I've ever known. We we recycle it, of course, but uh, we don't generally filter it because I don't find that really, it maybe makes the color better, (laughs) but the oil's kind of spent being Mm -hmm. at a temperature for a while. We skim any of the crumbs off and we have a very sophisticated cycle of how we fry the food so it comes out incredibly clean. Um, And um, so that expertise, kind of gourmet level um, approach to fry cooking Mm -hmm. and lobster roll making and everything, in a roadside joint is uh, it's kind of a we were an early version of what food trucks are doing now. For instance, bringing um, real good culinary principles to street food, mm-hmm. you know, main street food. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, one of our busier streets in the state yes, of Maine, I would I, say. Um, what do you feel? Um, do you feel the effects of shortages of? Trained cooks, um, you know, something we talk a lot about that's affecting restaurants here in New York city, but I think also across the country is it's really, really hard to hire cooks right now. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering if, you know, being a seasonal, um, business and, um, sort of based on the, um, the high, high demand that you have on those busy days. Have you had a hard time finding staff, um, to cook or has it been pretty consistent?
3: Well, Yes, of course we have. Um, and having run other restaurants, I mentioned a place called Robert's Main Grill, where, which is a more excuse me, standard kind of full-service restaurant. And we have a bakery. Um, we no longer have Robert's, but we have this bakery Lil's. Lill's. Um, Go to
2: Lill's. It's in Kittery. Kittery Foreside. Go get a cruller. I sent you. <laughs> Thank you. you.
3: <laughs> See, the connection is the frying. Oh. <laughs> the frying of the cruller. That's the link. And the fact that it's oh, named after Lillian, who was our 25-year cashier, wonderful lady. Um, uh, we have a certain, we have a couple of advantages that have really paid off for us in the hiring. One is um, we don't always love to hire experienced cooks uh, because they, they think they know how to fry. Mm-hmm. And almost always they don't. I've never really run into somebody that comes in that thinks they know how to fry. So unteaching things is really hard on learning. So we'd like to hire, I mean, our general manager, been there uh, since 1991. She's in her mid-40s, so she started at 16. I and mean, she learned the business, right? And she learned how to do it the way we do it. And there are quite a few others like that. And we have 10- and 20-year veterans. And so if we can train folks, and while well, fry cooking is, um, takes skill, it's not as hard. And as complex as putting a sauce together or, or sautéing. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can train folks. So that gives us an edge there. And because we have um, very progressive uh, um, philosophies of values, you know, we have the five bottom line system and we're open book management and profit sharing we've had for years, you know, where people actually, in, not like a retirement profit sharing. Like you like know, equity. Equity and, and uh, at the end of the year, you you know, you see how we do and you get a check for X amount and it's lots and just a lot of great systems like that and a lot of inclusion. So, uh, you know, meaning the frontline staff really make big decisions about what we're doing and how we change things. And and uh, so that culture that has evolved, um, we've been we're kind of become an employer of choice, I think. So we've we've done pretty well and we seem to get by
2: awesome yeah um i i'd love to spend more time and talk about um the the five bottom line and um to talk about profit sharing as well but i think this is something that we should come back to at a later time because i think there are so many great models that you know I, i think there's maybe a misconception that it's hard to be successful in the restaurant business while um you know being beneficial in the community. And uh, I've just been hearing from a lot of restaurant owners recently about their successes with policies like this and with open bookkeeping um, that I think have been really, really remarkable. So I'm really glad to hear that's sure. happening.
3: I know you want to come back to it. I just put in a plug in. I'm a I'm a Rock United uh, Raise member. Um, part of the high, uh, Rays is the high road uh, restaurant side of Rock United and a big supportive support of what they're trying to do. And that's awesome. Been for a while.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you. We're going to take a very quick commercial break and we'll be back in a moment. And I'm excited to talk to you about some of your sustainability initiatives and some um, projects looking forward into the future. So we'll be right back. Thank you.
1: Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit WildAlaskaSeafood.com.
2: Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm your host, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and my guest today is Michael Landgarten, the owner of Bob's Clam Hut in Kittery, Maine. So, Michael, thank you. We, are, um, we were just talking about some of your employment practices and how you've maintained really historic business um, over uh, a long duration of ownership, and um, you've got some really cool relatively recent projects, um, you know, Bob's has always had, I think, a really good attitude towards sustainability. And at this point, you guys have some amazing initiatives going on in the Kittery location. So I'd love for you to tell us quickly about those. Um, And then I'd like to talk about some of your future projects as well.
3: Sure. Yeah. Uh, We hooked up a few years ago with a group called Green Alliance, and they really started to educate us. Uh, And actually, one of the first things we did, we decided recently was a misstep, because sometimes it can be really hard to figure out What's better for the environment, X or Y? So at that point, we were all we were serving an all, on all paper, and we switched to plastic baskets and um, low-temp dishwashers, and started to do that kind of thing.
2: The plastic baskets, the the reusable, right, reusable um, like stuff. lined with a wax paper kind right. of thing. So yeah. less
3: trash. Yeah. And yeah. We thought, oh, that's good. Um, and uh, recently, we decided it wasn't so good because it's creating, it's you know. Plastic mm-hmm. It's not a good thing to manufacture. Some of them end up in the trash and, you know, virtually never decompose. And, mm-hmm. and um, there were more, uh, there was a great composting uh, vendor um, locally who we had used at the other restaurants. And so we've gone to all compostable um, paper products. Uh, so
2: that's interesting that the single-use but compostable products were actually ultimately better than um than creating and and eventually disposing of the plastic
3: petroleum-based you Mm -hmm. know manufacturing making plastic and then sometimes often more often than we care to admit i think is the plastic would end up in the trash Mm -hmm. we had staff going through (laughs) trash bags trying to pull them all It was just a mess Mm -hmm. so yeah we um so the thing evolves um and then uh, we added some solar panels on the roof, and that only, restaurants are huge electrical users, that only covered about 7% of, really? our, of our usage and uh, like 30 panels. So we uh, bought a solar farm and put in another 310 panels, and now we're 100% solar, which feels great. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Wow, I'm surprised that the the roof just wasn't wasn't Not even quite close. cutting it. Yeah, it was like
3: it was like just it, it, you know it was a little embarrassing because people say, "Oh, that must cover a lot." I'm like, "No, it's seven percent." Wow. <laughs> right, right. But we bought the solar farm.
2: It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So cool, uh, and and a beautiful sunny spot to have it too. Right. Um, yeah. And you mentioned briefly earlier that you guys recycle the fryer oil. I imagine there's, you know, literal tons of oil coming through. Yeah. Uh, is that going to biodiesel, or how do you uh, recycle that?
3: Um, the, there's a variety mm. of things they do. Um, I hear it makes soap in some places, but mostly it's uh, biofuels. Cool. That's correct.
2: So you yeah. have a, a partner that will come and collect that? Vendor a and, picks okay. it up, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So
3: that's been going on a long time, actually. Okay. That's, not, that's uh, even before it became pretty... Well-known, mm-hmm. yeah. It was. It used to be a market for it. I, back when I bought Bob's from Bob, from Bob, <laughs> um, we used to get paid for the oil, and not so much anymore. Oh, really? So it's pretty much just the service of picking it up. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Are there people, um, I know that, you know, especially kind of in the Seacoast area, I, I knew some people who had converted their cars to run sure. on fryer oil, kind of unrefined in the, the carwood process. Right. Are there people F- who want to pick up directly from you? And there do you, are. Do you entertain them?
3: Do you know Mark McElroy, too? He's <laughs> um, a buddy of mine that he he got on it really early. He had like old Mercedes and he was always wanted to come by and pick it up. And I said, sure, go ahead. And then his car stunk like fry, used fryer, fryer, you know. Oil. You can
2: always spot those cars or you can sniff out the cars because they're going down the road and you're like, It's it? like advertising for us, but it wasn't a yeah. good
3: one. Once it got into the car, it didn't
2: it's not quite as nice away. as the fresh clams and the fresh oil. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, that's really cool. Um, so looking to the the very near future from now, uh, you are here in New York for something called a Lobster Rumble with Tasting Table. Is that right?
3: Yes. Right.
2: So uh, what's the Lobster Rumble? And tell us about your team and what you guys are doing tomorrow.
3: Oh, sure. Uh, it's Thursday, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it tomorrow. Get it over with. That'd be great. Uh, we are uh, one of 25 restaurants that have been selected. We're really honored to uh, to serve our lobster roll. Um, lobster rolls have always been on the menu Bob was doing it in 1956 so it's been it, it didn't really take off as a phenomenon or a food that people really knew of until like 1990 really Rebecca Charles and huh. uh, over at um, Pearl Oyster Bar was the one who she was on the cover of gourmet or something and the lobster roll started to be a thing um, and we're we're just making our classic lobster rolls. Nothing uh, really ornate about ours, um, although I've certainly made them with tarragon and chives and et cetera, et cetera. But uh ours is straight up beautiful, uh recent you know, shucked it'll be they will be shucked today or tomorrow, actually, lobsters. Mm-hmm. Um and a perfectly girdled bun. And um, we'll compete with these twenty four other restaurants for the Best Lobster Roll. Uh, I think they get about 1,200 people coming. Wow. Uh, it's in Greenpoint this time. We, we've been at it. Well, Robert's, this other restaurant, um, that was also named after Bob, of course. People sometimes don't get the joke.
2: And Robert's was directly across the street right. from Bob's clam Hut, yeah.
3: The idea was Bob put on some shoes and mm-hmm. maybe a shirt and went <laughs> out to dinner. Maybe. Right. <laughs> Considered having a salad, but didn't really mm-hmm. do it. Um, and uh, uh, we competed a couple of years. We actually won the first time we were there. Oh, Which cool. was pretty Congrats. wild. Yeah. yeah, it was out of my mind. Um, <laughs> it's kind of I mean, a it's an
2: amazing lobster roll. And also, nice. um, like, just the, the technique on the bun is nothing to sneeze at. Will you also be including the pickle? Because I, I think you guys have a great pickle. We are bringing a pickle. Good. <laughs> yeah, a
3: little, little extra uh, uh, bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the mousse-bouche from Bob's. Um, and the team I'm bringing is uh with that general manager Sherry Manson mm-hmm. who started in 1991 I remember the day and uh Brian Pajak who's been there 15 years a couple of managers uh Cassie Swicklick and Tim Beal uh so this long timers and uh the five of us are going to crank out 1200 lobster roll tastes
2: just like that just um, like how that. how do you do do you have a mini bun or are you are you slicing them how big is the taste
3: the taste is going to be half a lobster roll so oh, that's it's pretty pretty, big. pretty rich yeah. yeah pretty but yeah, uh, cutting those things in thirds is just awkward. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, so we have our we have travel griddles and uh, Kate's butter, which is oh, yeah. uh, just tremendous butter, um, local Maine, uh, and uh, Hellman's mayo. The, Bring not, out the not best. ashamed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat it. Um, That's awesome. There you go.
2: Oh, well, I'm very very envious. I'm traveling to Vermont tomorrow, so That's I will not, not be able to eat too many lobster rolls. But hopefully we'll. Um, I'll be thinking of you guys, you know Um, where to find us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe I'll make a detour on my way home. Um, so speaking of a little short distance travel, you guys have a really exciting opening coming up in Portland. So this is going to be another location of Bob's clam hut. Same name. Yes. And, Mm um, how, so how, how did this come to be? Because Portland is, um, not so far, but it's a bit of a drive. Um, an amazing food city. I think um, Seacoast, Portsmouth, Kittery, and Portland have always had really, really awesome food scenes. But you know, Portland is very, very well known. Um, so, how long have you been kind of working on this, and and what's the inspiration to open there as opposed to any other coastal cities?
3: Well, I'll start with your last question. Um, Portland's, you know, the culinary capital of Maine. The mid coast is also really a remarkable place with its uh, history of back to the landers and and Maine organic farmers and growers, a gardeners association, and a really great food in mid coast. But Portland is where the it's like the culinary epicenter and and the conversation really starts there. And I love Portland. Been going there since I was in college. Uh, played in bands there actually for years, and uh, we were doing a. A pop-up, a Bob's pop-up at Oxbow, the great brewer brewery, brewery uh, one night, and I saw this place that I'd noticed before, on a very prominent corner in a up-and-coming neighborhood, um, and uh, so that means it was a little, it's a little gritty, the neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a a clam hut there, but it had gone out of business, and uh, there's, so it just tapped into what I had learned. I had been. Thinking about a second climate Hut for many years and just the right place just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody once said, you can put one anywhere. And I thought, uh, it's actually pretty tricky where where a second Bob should go because I'm not sure there should be a second Bob's, mm-hmm. And I, I can't uh, exactly tell you what it is. It was something about being a standalone building because Bob's a standalone building. We didn't want to be like in a strip mall or something like that. We wanted to kind of maintain that feel. And... Um, but it's different enough. It's urban enough and uh, kind of creative enough for to tap into Bob's pioneering spirit, in a way. So we're going into this neighborhood, doing classic main street food. It, it's sort of a gateway spot on this street that's become really exciting with food. Um, and we're doing it with, you know, we're saying, it doesn't have to be fancy food, but it has to be great. Mm-hmm. And that's what we stand for. So it felt right, and... I've done these other restaurants all along, and the Bob's folks, which is really the core of our company, have never really had a place to expand their their ability their their careers. And so, as soon as we said we're doing this, they were just jumping That's and awesome. excited to be in Portland.
2: Cool. So, yeah, it's, I guess it's dangerous for you to travel because you might just spot a, a roadside <laughs> place and and have to buy it. Um, but that sounds like a perfect location and. Uh, I'm excited to check that out. Um, you know, just thinking about all the great brewing that's happening in Kittery and Portland, too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Will there be any possibility of having a beer companion with the Clam Basket?
3: They're really, this is, you know, Bob's Kittery has always been G-rated, and mm-hmm. for uh, no no beer, we have ice cream. Uh, and uh, But Portland has beer. All we'll right. Have, we'll have beer, we'll have cans, <laughs> we'll have, uh, I think we're starting with... Um, uh, lunch i think main beer company awesome. oh and love it maybe allagash white I, i'm not exactly sure maybe tributary like we haven't so a couple on tap and then a bunch in cans awesome so yeah it's a, such a natural fried clams or scallops or anything and uh, and a beer you know we have a little patio kind of beer gardeny patio so it's, it's good and and i think that lil's connection is was informative too because we help to revive the neighborhood down in kittery foresight as you know mm-hmm. so this is some you know there's always got to be a give back quality to what bobs does so this was our saying oh let's go help this neighborhood and you have to be part of this revival mm-hmm. um rather than going say on commercial street which is the waterfront and just trying to cash in so right. it's more of that spirit of uh, helping
2: i love that so uh, last question um have you seen uh, any kind of increase in demand for vegetarian options or are you, um, looking to expand any of the uh, menu offerings in that direction, either in Portland or Kittery? Um, is this something that's changing as people are becoming more aware of, um, vegetarian and vegan diets?
3: Right. Um, not so much. Yeah. We, um, I, I paid attention to that. I'm, I'm personally, I'm, gluten-free. I'm uh, Dairy free, uh, you know. I cheat every so often, like I had the pizza. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you just <laughs> had a pizza? I know. Pizza <laughs> I, said, I, I said, this is. I, this is I'm worth here, it. This is totally so worth gonna it. So I'm going to pay for it. But, um, <laughs> and we have gluten free seafood at, at Bob's. Mm-hmm. We do gluten free, um, but vegetarian, probably not. Get what a basket of fries. You can't, right? Yeah. You, you know, you can't be all things to all people. Yeah. We certainly do that at the other at Lil's, but I yeah. think Bob's is Bob's is a England Seafood Place. That's who we are.
2: I'm. I'm glad to hear that. I think it's. Uh, you know, it's. It's really the perfect example of its kind, and. Um, so excited to see the expansion, and um, really can't wait to check it out. And congratulations. Thank you. And uh, and break a leg at the Lobster Rumble. Oh,
3: appreciate that. <laughs> I already feel like you know, just being one of the 25 is, you know, that's winning. It's that's pretty awesome.
2: cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for making the time to come out to Roberta's today. I know you're just off the airplane, so
3: um,
2: welcome back to New York City, and thanks Thank for you, joining Katie. us on Heritage Radio Network. It's
3: a great pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization, and Heritage Radio Network on Tour is supported by the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts If you would like to make a donation to help us with our operations, you can visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. And thank you so much. We will be back with more episodes of HRN on tour. Stay tuned later this summer. We will be traveling all around and uh, look for us at Feast Portland in September. We're very excited for this partnership. So thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you on Thursday with HRN Happy Hour. Take care.